You're listening to the ProcureTech Podcast, your weekly show for all that's cooking in the digital procurement space. Yes, we've got the hottest startups, thought leadership and conversation from visionary industry experts and definitely no stiff corporate content. I'm your host, James Meads, procurement pro, digital nomad and ProcureTech fanboy. And now here's this week's show. And we're live. Good afternoon, good morning, wherever you are in the world. And welcome to another edition of the ProcureTech Pub. And we call it the pub because it's really just an informal chat about what's going on in a particular corner of the procurement tech space. We're definitely not drinking beer at this time of day. I've got my water next to me. And my guest is coming from Canada, where it's still quite, well, not early in the morning, but it's still morning. So there will definitely not be any alcohol consumed during this pub session. So my guest today is Joelle Collin de Mer from Montreal. Joelle, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. And Joelle, just give a quick introduction. Your background is in the source to pay space. Maybe just give us a quick minute or two introduction of how you got into this and some of your background, and then we'll get into the uh, the meat on the bone of today's discussion, which is really talking about the dynamic of the source-to-pay application market, how to craft a transformation roadmap uh, if you're in that space, some of the developments in terms of maturity, uh, difference between best of breed and some of the suites and where we think the market is headed. So, yeah, before we do that, tell us all about yourself. Yeah, sure. something so, exciting. What's your favorite vegetable and why or something like yeah. that? <laughs> Eggplant uh, with some salt. No, I, <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, I've been in the, the procurement uh, tech space, as you said, for uh, 12 years now. So I started off um, with my bachelor in, in business uh, with specializ- specialization in IT management. And then straight out of school, I went, went to IBM uh, and did an internship before that as well in a business process management firm. Uh, but anyways, ended up at IBM in the SAP practice and fell into the, the procurement modules for implementation. Uh, I thought it would be interesting to tell other people how to spend their money instead of spending mine so that I'd get home and be tired of talking about spending all day. And so, you know, I'd end up saving. Uh, that was the logic behind it. <laughs> or um, And then, yeah, ended up progressing from there, implementing for direct materials, for indirect materials, looking at uh, Ariba and, and different other source to pay applications that sit on top of ERP. And for three years now, I've been uh, in my own independent consultancy called Pure Procurement and uh, essentially doing doing the type of work we'd be discussing today, right? So helping clients navigate what is an, an increasingly uh, diverse space of, of applications and, and helping them think about that because it's it's like the old pasta story, right? Like there used to be three pasta sauces at the grocery store and it'd be very easy to make a decision and be satisfied with your decision. And now you go to the grocery store and there are hundreds of pasta sauces. And if you're going to analyze them all, it's going to take you a whole bunch of time. And, you you, you know, scientifically, you're going to be less satisfied with your decision uh, than, than if you had less choices, right? So I think it's um, trying to trying to approach it where you're going to look at absolutely everything and make the best possible decision is, is not a viable strategy these days. So yeah, anyways, I've, I've been doing that for, for 12 years and uh, it's still interesting, so I'm still here. So 12 years, so that would have been 2010. So I'm guessing that would have been round about the time that 
Ariba, Cooper, Jagger, all of these big suites, Ivalua, Basware, Zykus, they, these were all sort of coming onto the market well, or starting to mature as applications that were that were really sort of all in one suite. And that was really on vogue at the time, I suspect. So that is, that, is, that a, is that a good place to start in terms of the context? Was that pretty much, have I got that pretty much right in terms of that, of that time period? Yeah, I think so. Uh, like in 2012 is when uh, SAP purchased Ariba, and then for for a little for a little while there, they didn't do much with it. They 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 were two separate organizations, and I think it was just you know it was a matter of determining yeah. how they were going to look at integration uh, over time. So that took a, a bit of time, but I would say yeah, it was very early in that period, and and you know adoption in the market really started more around. 15, 16, 17, uh, at least from, from the Canadian market perspective. So, uh, yeah, no, that, I think that was a, that was a good, a good period, right? Where we were realizing that the base ERP that you had put in place, uh, there were, there were other modules that you could get to help, help you do the sourcing piece and the user experience piece to, to build on top of your ERP, but the, the tools were still very, very rudimentary. So all those big firms either built out built out capabilities themselves or went and acquired uh, capabilities to be able to offer the full suite. And when I say the full suite, I mean the full, uh, the full value chain of procurement, right? So being able to help you with uh, category management and spend analysis, uh, sourcing processes, contract management processes, and then what your your traditional ERP does, which is more you know purchasing and procure to pay, uh, and then even going into accounts payable and then supplier relationship management, right? So if you've got all of those pieces and and able to offer them, then then I'd, I'd consider you're a full suite. Yeah, and we'll we'll come on to that a little bit later around to what extent can some of these source to pay applications cover, you know, some of the some some of the more niche requirements that, that pretty much every procurement organization is going to have, you know, things like contract management, SRM, increasingly now ESG, which is kind of, sort of SRM in terms of know your supplier or KYS as it's starting to be uh, to, to be called, you know, to, to, with, a, with, a, with a nod to the banks, you know, they call KYC, know your customer. Yeah, I want to go back to the comment that you made around the past to source. I think that's, I didn't plan to go down this route, but I will just before we sort of tackle the, the sort of the state of the market. You mentioned, you know, the pasta sauce and, and having choice and and, um, and and it was easy back then when there were only three pasta sauces. I actually make my own pasta sauce. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, I, I, enjoy, I enjoy cooking. I actually make my own pasta sauce. So that sort of led me on to a, a sort of question to say, is there any sense or, or, or is, there, is, is there any justification for a company to say, We'll build our own S2P tool, and I'll 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 put that into context. That obviously, if you're expert IBM and you've been working mainly with Ariba and Cooper and those type of applications, your clients would have been very much sort of large enterprise clients. So, I mean, clearly, if you're a mid-market business, you're not going to develop in-house your own S2P suite. But what are the pros and cons of doing it for enterprise? Because you you often see it, don't you? And, and when you look at things like DPW Scout Lab, when you've got these big corporations looking at, you know, potentially building something from scratch or scouring the market to see if there's a company that can that can help them build it. What are the pros and cons of that approach? Yeah, so, so that's very interesting. When, when you said you were making pasta sauce, I went in another direction where I was going like, well, you need to make your own pasta sauce in the sense that you shouldn't buy something off the shelf for everything, right? You're going to have a different context. 
you're going to want to uh, pick and choose, but and you may have to build out integrations or specific functionalities. But to, to answer your question more directly, I don't think I've never seen it in, in 12 years of practice, uh, somebody building out their own application, right? What I've seen is people building out their own little bits of functionality that may be missing from a core suite or from a core tool, right? So I think you need to approach it that way yeah. where it's really, it's a pyramid, right? You have a you have your ERP, which is the base and it's connected to all your other functions. Mm-hmm. And then you go and get an applic- applications to help you do some things that, that um, your ERP doesn't do, extend functionality. And then you may go and get specific uh, applications for a specific vertical or a very specific vertical within a vertical, right? And if you can't, can't find something that's cost-effective that's going to help you do that, then that's where you want to build little functionalities, little apps that are going to connect into your other applications and, and allow you to do things that are specific to your business, your context, your industry uh, that may not be available on the market. But is that still a viable strategy now? I mean, especially if I look at Ariba and Cooper that have their app stores if you've got other best of breed applications now that can relatively simply be connected to it, has that sort of diminished the justification for building an in-house app that that, that does you know a little bit on the side that, that a suite can't do out yeah. of the box? Absolutely, and I and I think over time what you're going to see is like a a gradual funneling down of of the use cases where it's an appropriate strategy because because if it's a viable strategy for you or if it's functionality that you need, then somebody else in the world, in your space, in your industry needs it, right? But I think there are still a little category of niche use cases that where that's still a viable strategy. And, and the proof to me is that we're still seeing the multiplication of all these offerings on the market where there are gaps, right? So there are still gaps. There's still areas to generate value in. And sometimes the, the you'll be ahead of the software market in, in identifying those within your business. Are you seeing a move away from, I mean, there's this platform approach that Dr. Eloise Epstein talks about and has written about a lot. And you know, I, do, I, I do wholeheartedly agree that there has to be some sort of single source of truth. But yeah. does it necessarily now need to be a source to pay or, or a procure to pay suite? Or, or, or are you seeing now that companies are starting to use something like a Tealbook or a, or a Hicks or, or even maybe something like a Zip as, as, as somewhere to store supplier data and evaluations and contracts and, 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 all of, and all of the sort of data around managing vendors? And then P2P can be a separate best of breed tool that sort of fits into that. Yeah, I've started to see that. I think it's it's different based on the piece of data that you're talking about. So the the vendor master is the big one and, and the right one. So you need to be conscious of how you're going to build that in. But there's always um, there's always associated costs as well, and it depends on you know what's the, the maturity of your procurement department, what is the maturity of the rest of your organization in their comprehension of what procurement is and how far it can generate value. What's the the how much spend do you have in your organization as well? Because all of these applications have a cost, right? And that that, that piles up on top of each other, right? So there's there's that aspect to it as well. But yeah, the the, the single source of truth concept concept is is definitely definitely needs to be thought of as you're crafting your roadmap, crafting your strategy, and then you know you'll have to adapt it. I think if it, like Dr. Uh, Louis Epstein's vision is is correct, if you do not have 
any money constraints, right? Any budgetary constraints and, and you want to go with all these best of breed applications. Um, but if you do yeah. have those types of constraints, then you have to make choices, make, make trade-offs uh, and decisions on, on what you're going to prioritize. Data nef- definitely needs to be at the top of that list. It's just depending on, yeah, if you have, if you only have, uh, I don't know, couple thousand vendors versus 20, 30, 60,000 vendors, then your priorities are going to be a bit different, right? In terms of master data management, you might choose to support an ERP vendor master data process with, you know, a smaller MDM suite or an MDM suite that's not specific to procurement, but, you know, that's um, applicable for all the master data management across your business. So there's always going to be yeah. tugging between... Things like parts and finished products and that type of thing, you mean? Yeah, yeah, our customers, uh, bill of materials, like all, all the master data that you could have within a business, right? So you're always going to have that tug and pull between those purest, uh, purest applications or IT-driven applications where it's like, well, we have master data within all of the different business functions. Why can't we do that in a central application versus uh, the function-specific applications where, for example, HICX or Tealbook, where procurement is going to say, no, we like we want a, a built-for-purpose application for vendor data and procurement data. Uh, so it's it's a it's an ongoing conversation and, and trade-off to, to evaluate uh, within the business because as, as I come back, as I say, say it comes back to the, the overall cost as well and, and how you're going to be able to justify that business case and, and also what horizon your business forces on you to justify a business case, right? Like justifying on three years versus five years versus 10 years is going to give you a lot more, uh, a lot of different possibilities if you're a longer time horizon. So I mean, we've... We've obviously come a long way since when you first started out in this game, you know, 12 years ago, where, where there were, I guess, probably five potential consider, uh, candidates to, uh, to to go out and buy if you're looking at source-to-pay technology and all of them was all in one suite back then. What are you seeing now in terms of, if we if we look at, if someone came to you today and, and wanted some advice on, you know, what should they go down, what should they... What should they do, or what should they consider in terms of, in terms of sourcing and procuring and installing what they want to do? Obviously, now the the first question I suspect is going to be: Do they go down the sweet route, or do do they go down the best of breed route, and then do something else around data management? Guide us through what typically that looks like in terms of the process of how they would go about doing that, or how you would advise them to do that. Yeah. So, so I think there's there's two. Uh, aspects to this. One is how you approach the market. The other is how do you how do you ensure you you know your business, you know your spend profile, right? Because depending on your spend profile and, and the context of your organization, my answer is going to be different. Um, so, so like for example, if you're 100 percent indirect, you don't have material masters, bombs, um, you know, you don't do any production per se. Um, my answer is going to be different than if you're you know, in manufacturing, you have MRO purchasing, you have, uh, you know, a lot of direct parts as well for, for manufacturing, for production. Um, so I think there's a couple things, right? One of them is you want to make sure that you have a good comprehension of the, the as-is or the current state of your organization's processes and, and org structure and existing technologies as well, even if those are Excel sheets and, you know, access databases and, and whatnot. So making sure you go around the different functional teams uh, in your business and, and get at least a, you know, a Pareto 80, 20% uh, 
a view of um, what's actually going on, how people are buying, especially if you're in a decentralized model today and are looking to use your procurement transformation and, and the digitalization of uh, of your procurement processes as a a way to, to to put central procurement in place as well, strategic procurement. So I think the central versus decentralized uh, model is to take into consideration as well. So you go, you do your roadshow through uh, through the different functional units and potentially geographies, potentially as well, different fun, yeah different teams uh, that you may have, and then. You want to make sure you're addressing that in, in terms of the spend priority as well, right? So 80-20, you could base it on that, right? If you have like 20 business units, but they don't spend anything, well, don't don't necessarily go around and, and talk to each one of them. They can fairly, they can get into your final solution fairly easily, right? You want to make sure you address those big pieces. From there, you would craft your vision on an end state, right? Like what are the pieces? And it kind of relates back to what we were saying at the beginning around, okay, well, what are we going to do for spend analysis, for sourcing, for contract management, uh, procure to pay and supplier relationship management? And uh, given the context of the as is and, and the constraints it may bring about or not, right? And then from there, you want to share that vision. So go back to your different stakeholders, share that vision, get get uh, feedback on it, right? And this is all agnostic of technology, right? It's more the modular, for those modular pieces, which is typically mirrors what's on the market in terms of offerings, where are you positioning yourself, right? What's really important? Uh, what is What do you think you're going to need, you know, above and beyond functionality uh, in that space to, to be able to... to to get all the value out of your procurement processes. And I could give you an example for that, right? So if, so contract management, everybody and their, their mother seems to have a contract management tool that allows you to do workflow. Uh, but obligation management is something that's very niche and more specific where you want to follow SLAs on contracts. Uh, right? yeah. So, so like there's, there's levels of functionality within those contract management modules and tools. And if you know that you have, you know, you have a very specific way of dealing with contracts, well, you know that that's probably going to be a focus area for you. Yeah, and likewise as well. I mean, a lot of the more upstream parts of CLM, you know, I'm thinking around the sort of negotiation and authorization and sign-off stage that tends to sort of typically fall more into the legal tech space if you look at the yeah. startups that are out there doing that. Yeah. None of these suites are able to do that. None, none of them have sort of DocuSign or, or Adobe Sign capability mm-hmm. for sign-off. None of them have got any have got any clause databases or, or use any AI or any sort of smart technology to do to do redlining or to import and export from a from a master Microsoft Word document. So if if that's something that's a must have, I don't think that correct me if I'm wrong, Joel, you know the market, you know, in the enterprise suite space a lot better than I do, but I don't think there's anyone out there that does that. As a module. Yeah, there's a lot of integrations with those types of tools, so like DocuSign to get, you know, say you have an Ariba or an iValue or Coupa, yeah. they're, they're just going to plug into the best of breed DocuSign tool or Adobe Sign tool and allow you to integrate with that. And I think, you know, they're moving towards embedding AI and embedding smart contracting in there. But to your point, I don't think it's there 100% yet, right? And there's another, yeah, there's the legal department, uh, which they're going to have their own needs for other types of contracts, sales contracts, partnership contracts. How are you approaching that from a, a contract management strategy, right? Is it, is, is it always internal template based? Are you using external templates for your contracts? So that's, those are all types of things that you want to be aware of and know that you're going to need ideally, uh, from a CLM solution before 
you craft a go-to-market strategy, right? So, 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 so yeah. the best case then with a with a source to pay with a source to pay suite, best case is that you're gonna that you're gonna get you're gonna get um, a, a repository function that will send out reminders and and that you can do tags and that you can incorporate your stakeholders to have or your suppliers to have visibility and, and add and amend documents if you want them to. You're also going to have the functionality that it can integrate with some of the popular applications on the market for authorization and signature. But you're not going to, unless you go out and buy a best of breed piece of software specifically to bolt onto it, it's not going to do sort of advanced CLM. I think is yeah. So the only thing I'd add to what you were saying is um, you'll have natively like a clause library and, and contract templates as well. So you'll, you'll be able okay. to, you know, get your, get your legal to put in pre-approved clauses, pre-approved alternative clauses, for example. And so as procurement, you're running your, you're running your negotiation with the supplier and they fight you on a clause or they ask you to change a clause. You can tell you can use an alternative clause. And if you stay within uh, what's been configured by your legal department as pre-approved clauses, then you don't need to to bring legal into the process, right? So that is is usually standard as well. And then, as I say, as as we progress over time as well, and they embed, they see what competitors are doing that are more pure play solutions for CLM, well, they start embedding those functionalities in in the tools as well, right? So, but that's always the the trade-off, right? Is if you you have that uh, end-to-end solution, they're going to innovate quickly, but they're going to innovate quickly over the whole platform, right? They're not necessarily going to innovate as fast as someone who's focusing just on contract management right and that's that's understandable isn't it because yeah, it's yeah. um that one one's trying to be a jack of all trades and the other one's trying to be a a, a, a single sort of world-class solution hey so just a quick interlude to let you know about procurementsoftware.site this is a new website that i recently launched to give you, the listener, a free-to-access intuitive guide to digital procurement technology. You can filter on a multitude of different criteria and pick out a short list of procurement software solutions that are relevant to your business and your needs in less time than it takes to boil an egg. No corporate subscriptions, no complex jargon, and definitely no pay-to-play model. We are a completely transparent, open book, and we really want to get your feedback on what we can really do to make this user experience better and constantly improve so as we're providing value to you. Check out procurementsoftware.site. And now let's get right back to this week's podcast. Let's talk a little bit about source, about sourcing because certainly, I mean, SAP Ariba started off essentially as being an e-auction tool and then sort of morphed into being into into being an S2P. Some some of the others sort of typically sort of grew from the other side, being mainly sort of procure to pay and then incorporated sourcing capability at, at a later date. In terms of the state of the market now, with the in, with the modules that are integrated sort of out of the box with with the big source-to-pay suites, are they more focused on strategic sourcing slash complex tenders, or is it more around sort of tailspin management or bringing sort of operational sourcing into one 
single source of truth and out of people's you know inboxes and Excel sheets. But which one do you think it's more skewed towards, or maybe it differs depending on the solution? Yeah, yeah that's what I was going to say. Right, it depends on on the solution, right? Which is why it's so important to know what your need is, right? And are we a manufacturing shop that we need to put three three quotes out uh, ideally for every every SKU and we already know the manufacturer part number, you know, you know, we know the quantity, we know exactly what our requirement is. So it's simple sourcing and we want to automate that as much as possible and, and, and generate value by going out to market, you know, as much as possible on each part. Or are we more on the complex procurement side where you're using a seven step AT Kearney strategic sourcing process and you're looking for more functionality around collaboration with the supplier, either on manufacture on manufactured parts uh, or, you know, on more IT based uh, application sourcing, for example, right? That type of thing. So where I see the market is like everybody's kind of picking their own vertical, right? Uh, around around that and and potentially even category specific solutions where, you know, sourcing uh, marketing uh, uh, marketing agencies is very different than sourcing brokers for real estate transactions, or you know. So knowing your profile and then knowing what you're going to try to do as a sourcing operation before you go out uh, to, to look. Yeah, Mar- marketing is a big one. The other one that's logistics and transportation is another yeah. one that the whatever e- whatever e sourcing tool you use, whether you use you know Cooper and Ariba's sourcing module, or if you take a best of breed e-sourcing tool it's it's extremely hard to do print and promotional items as i'm sure <laughs> a sort of nod to my friend sarah scudder who talked about that a lot and was one of my former podcast guests uh, and also logistics and transportation also yeah peter kynes was actually my first guest the ceo of uh, of freight tender they're a logistics sourcing tool and and that is very niche as well there are certain tech categories no matter what e-sourcing tool you use unless it's category specific you're probably going to get garbage from your from, from your auction or from your sourcing event, or you're going to have to supplement that with a lot of manual activity, which you were trying to get rid of with uh, yeah with the implementation of the original tool, right? Which is why, like, to, to come back and wrap off where I was saying, like, the you go get your as is, you craft a, a solution agnostic to be right, like your ideal end state, and then from there generate buy-in from from the different functions, right? If we can get us to here, does that make sense for you guys? Does that generate value for you guys? Yes. How so, and understand the value of, of or the the dynamics of value generation within your business for procurement as well, and then that's that's when you have that perspective that you're able to look at. Okay, how are we going to approach the market? Right? Do we know that you know sourcing processes? We're always going to use internal templates for contracting, or it's always going to be external, and then that's going to influence what type of functionality I'm looking for uh, for CLM, right? And can I? Are there one or two verticals where we know? Uh, that we're going to have uh, very specific deep uh, needs for deep functionality uh, and others we can live with something that's more out of the box, right? Where it's more standard functionality, I would say. So gaining that perspective is extremely valuable. And then when you look at going to the market, well, yes, you can look at the Gartners, the Foresters of this world. I feel like there's the scope that they're looking at is, is fairly small. Uh, in terms of what you're looking at, but I, I look more at going to something like digital procurement world, uh, looking at the spend matters documentation, looking at your site, procurementsoftware.site, where you see the whole directory of what's available and just getting a sense for, you know, does anybody hit those keywords that you, we know we're looking for, right? And and you might have to, to learn the jargon as well, like obligation management for CLM, for example, is not necessarily how you would term it within the business. Uh, so, 
getting that education period as well, right? And then as you do that, your perspective might change a little bit. You might want to go see somebody in each of the verticals, right? Guided buying, sourcing, contract management, P2P, AP automation, SRM, just to get a sense for, okay, well, what what are the best of breed applications doing in that space so that I can objectively measure my P2P suites or S2P suites uh, afterwards, right? So I think it's it's a matter of getting that that education before you actually go out and and, uh, and do it, right? So it's a lot more involved than than just running an RFP, right? If you want to to get that uh, to get it right, uh, but it doesn't mean you need to go see every single application, right? You'll get a sense fairly quickly for okay, what can we do? What can we not do? What's what's the art of the possible? Yeah, no, thank you for that. But more detailed answer than I was expecting. But it's it's really yeah, it's it's really really good to be able to to, to be able to showcase that because I do think knowledge of the market or at least enough to be dangerous and ask the right questions of the suite providers when they claim to be everything to everybody it is necessary and, you know what their suites can do may be sufficient for what you need it to do but it but it may not and to know the difference and to know the capabilities of the best of breed tech that's out there i think is key in terms of understanding the the cost versus value for money proposition from some of the big suite providers. Less so maybe if you're a big enterprise organization, but maybe if you're on the cusp of being able to realize an ROI ROI on a suite investment, if you're maybe a one, two billion dollar or euro company, that's sort of on the cusp, isn't it? Where where it may be where it may be more provident to go uh, to go best of breed and um uh, and, and just make the application speak to one another. Uh, sorry, sorry, no, go ahead. I on that point that you said around having the applications talk to one another, right? That's an extremely important piece that as procurement professionals, we may not, you know, be, be uh, alerted to is what are their integration methods for the tool with other tools, right? Do they have open APIs? Are they sending flat files? Like what's, What's the degree of, of integration with other tools? And then the other piece is that, so that's technical integration, but then functional integration as well, right? Can I change all of the labels in the tool so if it's so that I don't have different verbiage across my applications, right? So that I have a division here, a department there, a plant here, and, and they all mean the same thing from a data standpoint, but when you're a business user using the tool, it's very confusing, right? So being able to align language across your tools is, is an important consideration as well. Yeah, and also how many how many people will need access to the various tools? Because you know, if you're going for a best of breed spend analytics platform, then not really a big deal because only exactly. procurement and finance are going to use it. But if uh, yeah, if you look if you're looking at P2P or vendor master data management or uh, or contracts, then that's uh, that's a whole different ball game. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about supplier relationship management because that's the other one. SRM is the other big one where you know there are a huge amount of best of breed tools and something that the source to pay suites can do to a certain extent. But the route that we're going down now, particularly around more visibility and traceability of the supply chain, you know, ESG scores, certification, especially if you're in highly regulated industries like automotive or food food and beverage production where you need you know a lot of quality or, or health and safety certification to what extent you know would you would you recommend an automotive supplier or food and beverage supplier for example to to, to buy one of these legacy suites or do you think they will need a best of breed tool to to manage all of their SRM needs 
I think they're eventually going to get to the realization that they need a best of breed tool to, to run SRM, but it's always like a, a prioritization at the time. What's the biggest thing that hurts? The, the, the issue or the consideration with supplier data is that's, it's the base piece of data on which you build everything else, right? Your transactions, your orders, your, uh, your sourcing events, et cetera. So having a good supplier data model from the beginning is, is key to success and to not painting yourself into a corner later on, right? So if you're going to spend additional time on one of the verticals, SRM is, is, is the one to do that with because, yeah, as I say, it's, it's going to have ramifications on everything else, right? Because your Oracle or JD Edwards or SAP backend has one supplier structure. Your S2P tool has another supplier structure, right? Because you're going to have your sourcing suppliers, which you need minimal information on because you may not ever do business with them. Then as you get them through contracting, you're going to have to get more information to be able to sign a contract and then more information to be able to transact with them, right? Direct deposit information, bank accounts, uh, tax information, uh, other payment information. So, uh, and legal entity management, if it's a big organization as well. So all of those things are considerations that if you don't give some thought to them at the beginning, you eventually, you implement the solution, you start using it, and then you run into these use cases where, you know, you have this massive contract structure with a supplier where uh, you have a master agreement, but you also have multiple sub-agreements and they tie to different types of orders and it it just becomes a mess. And and there's a a lot of manual uh, things that you're going to end up doing because you didn't take the time to give yourself the tools and, and the comprehension of, what your supplier data needs to be able to do to, to, to support your business correctly over time. Yeah, no, that's uh, it's, a, it's an honest answer, but I think you're right that particularly in these in these industries that need to do a lot of due diligence on their supply base or need to maintain a lot of certification, it's um, it's a necessary evil that they're probably going to have to go with a separate tool to manage all of that. Yeah, and I, I find that just that piece though, like the um, like getting certifications, getting documentations, uh, or what I'll call the qualification process, like making sure that yeah, depending on the category of suppliers and how they're going to be dealing with you that impose your requirements on them. And you, you make sure they stay up to date over time as well. So like if the insurance certificate is good for two years after two years, boom, automatic notification kicks out. If you're still using that supplier for transactions. Uh, I think most, most tools are doing an adequate job. Uh, like the source to pay tools are doing an adequate job at that functionality. I think it's more where you're saying like, you know, putting ESG requirements in there uh, acting as a as a hub for that supplier data, so that I can I can centralize everything and then push it out to other applications. And I like I like Stephanie uh, at Teal Books uh, analogy for this. She goes, uh, you know, it should be like contacts in your phone, right? You pick up a new phone, which is a new S2P application, you know, a new best of breed application, and then you just you go on on your contacts, you sign into your contact uh, tool, and then everything's uploaded into your tool automatically, right? Like that's the dream for suppliers. Um, but as you know, each application has their own fields for suppliers. They're all named a certain way. So you need to do a certain exa- you know, mapping exercise. So having that, that yeah. data management piece of it, I think, and that's why I was focusing on that in the first, uh, first, my first answer is that's, that's where there's, there's applications that will do it much better than others in the pure play space. And, and that's what you should be focusing on and thinking about is flexibility, right? Over time to be able to extend and reduce and change my master data, mass change my, my master data to, to fit my, my evolving application landscape uh, in procurement. 
Have you ever implemented at a client that manages P2P outside of their ERP system and just punches back into whatever system they're using to pay invoices? Uh, yes. Do you mean an, an SRM solution or just in, in general? Yeah, just, just you know, bypassing something like SAP or Oracle completely for the P2P yeah. process and having and having a standalone tool, be that a suite or be it a best of breed P2P application, and then just having that sort of punch back in or or, or sort of transferring the data even manually through 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 a CSV file if it's a fairly small business into into their financial into their payments application. Yeah, yeah, no, I've done that, and and the the the, the correct profile spend profile to do something like that is where your spend is one hundred percent indirect, right? And what I mean by indirect, right, you know, a very confusing term, uh, is is if you don't have any materials, material masters, bill of materials inventory management, like then you've got a profile where you can look at that type of setup where you do everything in the source to pay layer and you just send an okay to pay file at the end of the process to your accounting system for payment. Right. When, when you have any sort of inventory management, then you know you need to look at it a bit clo- more closely because you're going to have a portion of your users that are going to have to live in ERP, right? They're going to have to manage MRP, manage your bill of materials, integrate with plant maintenance systems, uh, you know, manage inventory and goods receipts. So you need, if you're going to do like a dual strategy where you do your indirect in, in one tool and your direct in the other, does it make sense to do that based on your user base, right? Or do you should you look at something where you, you keep your procure to pay in the ERP system, but you look at a visualization layer on top of it to make it easier, right? Like I think I'm thinking of Zip. Zip, uh, they're a new player in the space, so I've never implemented them, but I, I see the potential there for doing something like that. Uh, I know, you know, on the, in the SAP side, they're looking at guided buying. They're getting they're getting that from an application development standpoint as well. So they're looking at guided buying in S four in, in the Fiori tiles as as being the layer for indirect management. And then if you need to go in the old SAP screens, you can. So I think, yeah, that's where it gets more complex is where you have that dual profile or you have a lot of direct spend. You know, and you want your users to have a good user experience when they are purchasing indirect. But if they're going to be purchasing direct, anyways, you know, maybe it's just a catalog punch out strategy from your ERP. So there's there's a lot of different things to think about in that scenario. Which unfortunately, I, I don't I don't have the map right. I don't have the the checklist uh, that allows allowed us allows us to do that um, with our eyes closed. But that's and that's why I say it's still interesting, right? To get back to what, what I was saying at the outset of the podcast is, depending on your context, it's always a bit a bit different. The answers are always a bit different, but that's that's the type of work I do with with folks, right? To have that discussion and, and try to give them those guiding principles in their context to make those decisions. And every consultant always says it depends. It's normal, and, and it's and it and it's perfectly legit because no company is the same. And while there are while there are some things that you know, while there are some things that do have a clear yes or no answer, you know, do do these large legacy suites have a good UX? Absolutely not. I mean, I think I would categorically say that. Yeah. But but can they can they still be the best choice under certain circumstances? Yeah. Well, absolutely, it really depends on on the application and and what you want to get out of it. And it's the old uh, Dunning Kruger effect, right? I don't know if you've ever seen that graph. It's like if you spend a minimal amount of time on a new topic, you you feel like you're an expert. Like you go, oh, I get it, I get it, and then you keep going. And you dive a bit, you keep diving a bit deeper, and then you feel your level of competence going down, and then slowly rising back up over time, right? So, to be a, a true expert in a field, you need to be mindful that it's gonna it's gonna take a while, and 
You know, it's like wine, right? You, you, you start looking at a couple different types of wine and you go, okay, I get the wine, Italy, you know, the, the, the South, the South American countries, et cetera. Like I get the dynamic. And then, uh, and then you, you keep drinking wine for a while. And you go, Oh no, I do not get the dynamic finally. Right. And like, I need to keep drinking wine a bit more to, to get it. <laughs> so absolutely. And different people have different specialisms, right? I mean, you're a, you're, you're an expert on the implementation side, particularly on the larger applications. You know, I think, think I know the, the, uh, the market holistically very, very well in terms of what's out there, the number of providers, what they all do. I wouldn't know the first thing about doing an actual on-site implementation because I've never done it. So, <laughs> yeah, it's... Yeah, and it's uh, just on that point, it, it brings it brings something to mind, which is... Uh, and we also, at all levels, try to go a bit faster than we should in terms of our, our organization's capacity for change adoption. So I've seen that, like, over 12 years, that's been the common theme, right, is it doesn't matter if it's a procurement application and a source-to-pay tool, just the sourcing suite or whatnot, but... You know, we, we often have the the pressure of the budget and the timeline and, and wanting to do a lot, but we also we also have that tendency to overestimate what we're able to ingest as a change in the organization because everybody's doing their own day to day at the same time. So that that'd be my biggest um, my biggest takeaway from the implementation piece is go slower than you think you should and then come back, right? Plan for coming back and doing continuous improvement with the application that you just implemented, because that's where you're going to get the true value, right? Because you're going to come in, implement it once, people are going to start using it. They're going to need that six months to ramp up and really soak in how to use the application and, and you know, the training that you've made available to them, either in, on premise or on demand, hopefully both. And, and then you're going to, you know, they're going to, they're only going to have adopted 60 to 70% of what you taught them, right? But the big, big value, there's big value in getting that additional 30%. So coming back and not re-implementing, but optimizing and continuously improving the solution is where you're going to get a lot of, a lot of value in it. And unfortunately, that's where I, I see a lot of organizations just kind of go on to the next thing, go on to the next thing, right? Instead of really wringing out the value that they paid for. Yeah, and wringing out the value that you've paid for, especially in one of these suites is is key, isn't it? Because they're not they're not cheap. No, what, what's no. the um, what's the fastest end to end implementation time you've ever experienced for for one of these? Because one of, one of the criticisms is well, not only, not only are these suites usually quite expensive compared to best of breed, but typically they they take a lot longer to implement and embed and and sort of get out of hypercare, whereas the best of breeds tend to sell, and I and I do think this is a little bit of a cliche, but they tend to sell this, you know, digitize in a day or digitize in a week. And, you know, I, I also take that with a bit of a pinch of salt, and I think it's BS to some extent, but certainly within within weeks, it's possible. Whereas, you know, you hear stories of some of these big suites taking years in some cases. Well, what's your personal experience? Yeah, well, it's a very, even if you're going to buy a suite, you're going to have a modular approach, right? So versus buying a, a, a CLM, you know, best of breed and implementing the module, the, the CLM module of a, a source to pay suite. I think you're going to have similar implementation times because you have similar data requirements. You have similar, similar processes that you're going to implement, right? So I don't think it's, it's an application specific piece. I think it comes back to overestimating our, our capacity to adopt change as an organization and the complexity that we have. Uh, so, but yeah, I mean, I've, I've typically seen like the the upstream modules like sourcing and contract management could be anywhere from you know 
two to four months is a realistic time frame if you're gonna if you're gonna roll out something you know with templates and but then there's a long process after that of optimizing right of, of making sure that everybody's using it uh, you may have to if you have multiple different procurement organizations throughout the world then the two to four months is, is the initial pilot the initial implementation of those uh, templates but then from a change management standpoint you're going to need to plan a couple of weeks to go and, and implement it in each of the other uh, procurement locations, right? Procurement centers without your, within your organization. So I think there's that initial longer timeline to implement. P2P, I've seen longer, right? Like six six to nine months, I want to say. And that's always going to be the most complex, isn't yeah. it? Because of all, yeah. the, all the vendor data that you've got to integrate into it, whereas the others can almost be standalone modules, can't they? So, yeah, that's yeah a- and it's, it's always a question of integration, right? Integration is what's going to be the most complex and take you the most amount of time because it depends on what you're integrating to. Are there plugins? Uh, do you have a middleware? Um, should you have a middleware if you don't have one? So all of these types of questions and the integration is always where uh, where the most complex problems are because you need you need to have someone who has the the expertise uh, or knows how to ask the right questions to do like end to end data flows right like if I'm if I'm doing sourcing and then contract management and then I want my contract to end up in my ERP system for example and then drive purchase orders from there and integrate that with a vendor network where I'm putting uh, vendors in, into the portal and, and moving that along as well. Like that's, that those, that's going to be one of the most complex use cases, right? Whereas something where there's much less integration, there's less complexity, I can roll it out faster and, and there's less of a hypercare period. Awesome. Joel, last question, really easy one. If anyone would like to connect with you or get in touch, what's the best way? Yeah, well, there's, uh, you could go on my website, pureprocurement.ca. Um, I'm also fairly active on LinkedIn. As I was telling you before we started recording, I haven't been, uh, the, in, in 2022, I haven't been as active as I, I would want to be. I've been caught up on, on other things, on client projects and uh a one and a three-year-old. Um, so that takes up a lot of time as well. But I'd say, yeah. And, and the last thing is if you can reach out uh, at joel at pureprocurement.ca just by email as well if, uh, if there's anything you want to discuss. Be happy to. Awesome. And I will link to that in the notes. This will be published as a podcast uh, this time next week for anyone that's watching or, or uh, watching a recording of the live stream. For anyone that's on the podcast, we'll drop that in the show notes. So Joel, thank you very much for joining me. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you back on and really appreciate your insights and knowledge uh, on this topic. Keep in touch. Cheers. Yeah, likewise. It's always a pleasure uh, discussing with somebody who is a fellow uh, procure to pay nerd, right? There's not that many of us out there, but there's, <laughs> there's tremendous value to uh, be generated from conversations. with. Awesome. Take care. Cheers. Cheers.